This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nocturna Ma Flanders by Daniel Defoe 3. Thus far I have had a smooth story to tell. Thus far I have had a smooth story to tell of myself, and in all this part of my life I not only had the reputation of living in a very good family, and a family noted and respected everywhere for virtue and sobriety, and for every valuable thing, but I had the character, too, of a very sober, modest, and virtuous young woman, and such I had always been. Neither had I yet any occasion to think of anything else, or to know what a temptation to wickedness meant. But that which I was too vain of was my ruin, or rather my vanity was the cause of it. The lady in the house where I was had two sons, young gentlemen of very promising parts and of extraordinary behavior, and it was my misfortune to be very well with them both, but they managed themselves with me in quite a different manner. The eldest, a gay gentleman that knew the town as well as the country, and though he had levity enough to do an ill-natured thing, yet had too much judgment of things to pay too dear for his pleasures. He began with the unhappy snare of all women, viz., taking notice upon all occasions how pretty I was, as he called it, how agreeable, how well carriaged, and the like. And this he contrived so subtly, as if he had known as well how to catch a woman in his net as a partridge when he went a-setting. For he would contrive to be talking this to his sisters, when, though I was not by, yet when he knew I was not far off, but that I should be sure to hear him. His sisters would return softly to him. Hush, brother, she will hear you. She is but in the next room. Then he would put it off and talk softlier, as if he had not know it, and began to acknowledge he was wrong, and then, as if he had forgot himself, he would speak aloud again, and I, that was so well pleased to hear it, was sure to listen for it upon all occasions. After he had thus baited his hook, and found easily enough the method how to lay it in my way, he played an opener game, and one day, going by his sister's chamber when I was there, doing something about dressing her, he comes in with an air of gaiety. "'Oh, Miss Betty,' said he to me, "'how do you do, Miss Betty?' "'Don't your cheeks burn, Miss Betty?' I made a curtsey and blushed, but said nothing. "'What makes you talk so, brother?' said the lady. "'Why,' says he, "'we have been talking of her below stairs this half hour.' "'Well,' says his sister, "'you can say no harm of her, that I am sure. "'So tis no matter what you have been talking about.' "'Nay,' says he, "'tis so far from talking harm of her "'that we have been talking a great deal of good, "'and a great many fine things have been said of Mrs. Betty.' I assure you, and particularly, that she is the handsomest young woman in Colchester, and, in short, they begin to toast her health in the town. I wonder at you, brother, says the sister. Betty wants but one thing, and she had as good want everything, for the market is against our sex just now, 
And if a young woman have beauty, birth, breeding, wit, sense, manners, modesty, and all these to an extreme, yet if she have not money, she's nobody. She had as good want them all for nothing but money now recommends a woman. The men play the game all into their own hands. Her younger brother, who was by, cried, Hold, sister, you run too fast. I am an exception to your rule. I assure you, if I find a woman so accomplished as you talk of, I say, I assure you, I would not trouble myself about the money. Oh, says the sister, but you will take care not to fancy one, then, without the money. You don't know that neither, says the brother. But why, sister, says the elder brother, why do you exclaim so at the men for aiming so much at the fortune? You are none of them that want a fortune, whatever else you want. I understand you, brother, replies the lady very smartly. You suppose I have the money, and want the beauty. But as times go now, the first will do without the last, so I have the better of my neighbors. Well, says the younger brother, but your neighbors, as you call them, may be even with you, for beauty will steal a husband sometimes in spite of money, and when the maid chances to be handsomer than the mistress, she oftentimes makes as good a market and rides in a coach before her. I thought it was time for me to withdraw and leave them, and I did so, but not so far but that I heard all their discourse, in which I heard abundance of the fine things said of myself, which served to prompt my vanity but, as I soon found, was not the way to increase my interest in the family. For the sister and the younger brother fell grievously out about it, and as he said some very disobliging things to her upon my account, so I could easily see that she resented them by her future conduct to me, which indeed was very unjust to me, for I had never had the least thought of what she suspected as to her younger brother. Indeed, the elder brother, in his distant remote way, had said a great many things in jest, which I had the folly to believe were in earnest, or to flatter myself with the hopes of what I ought to have supposed he never intended, and perhaps never thought of. It happened one day that he came running upstairs towards the room where his sisters used to sit and work, as he often used to do, and calling to them before he came in, as was his way too, I, being there alone, stepped to the door and said, Sir, the ladies are not here. They are walked down to the garden. As I stepped forward to say this towards the door, he was just got to the door and clasping me in his arms as if it had been by chance. Oh, Mrs. Betty, says he, are you here? That's better still. I want to speak with you more than I do with them. And then, having me in his arms, he kissed me three or four times. I struggled to get away and yet did it but faintly neither, and he held me fast, and still kissed me, till he was almost out of breath, and then, sitting down, says, Dear Betty, I am in love with you. His words, I must confess, fired my blood. All my spirits flew about my heart and put me into disorder enough, which he might easily have seen in my face. He repeated it afterwards several times, that he was in love with me, and my heart spoke as plain as a voice, that I liked it, Nay, whenever he said, I am in love with you, my blushes plainly replied, Would you were, sir. However, nothing else passed at that time. It was but a surprise, 
and when he was gone I soon recovered myself again. He had stayed longer with me, but he had happened to look out at the window and see his sisters coming up the garden, so he took his leave, kissed me again, and told me he was very serious, and I should hear more of him very quickly, and away he went, leaving me infinitely pleased, though surprised, and had there not been one misfortune in it, I had been in the right, but the mistake lay here, that Mrs. Betty was in earnest, and the gentleman was not. From this time my head ran upon strange things, and I may truly say I was not myself, to have such a gentleman talk to me of being in love with me, and of my being such a charming creature, as he told me I was. These were the things I knew not how to bear. My vanity was elevated to the last degree. It is true I had my head full of pride, but knowing nothing of the wickedness of the times, I had not one thought of my own safety or of my virtue about me. And had my young master offered it at first sight, he might have taken any liberty he thought fit with me, but he did not see his advantage, which was my happiness for that time. After this attack it was not long, but he found an opportunity to catch me again, and almost in the same posture, indeed, it had more of a design in it on his part, though not on my part. It was thus. The young ladies were all gone a-visiting with their mother. His brother was out of town and as for his father he had been in London for a week before. He had so well watched me that he knew where I was, though I did not so much as know that he was in the house, and he briskly comes up the stairs, and seeing me at work, comes into the room to me directly, and began just as he did before, with taking me in his arms and kissing me for almost a quarter of an hour together. It was his younger sister's chamber that I was in, and as there was nobody in the house but the maids below stairs, he was, it may be, the ruder. In short, he began to be in earnest with me indeed. Perhaps he found me a little too easy, for God knows I made no resistance to him, while he only held me in his arms and kissed me. Indeed, I was too well pleased with it to resist him much. However, as it were, tired with that kind of work, we sat down, and there he talked with me a great while. He said he was charmed with me, and that he could not rest night or day till he had told me he was in love with me. And if I was able to love him again, and would make him happy, I should be the saving of his life, and many such fine things. I said little to him again, but easily discovered that I was a fool, and that I did not in the least perceive what he meant. Then he walked about the room, and taking me by the hand, I walked with him, and by and by, Taking his advantage, he threw me down upon the bed, and kissed me there most violently, but, to give him his due, offered no manner of rudeness to me, only kissed a great while. After this, he thought he had heard somebody come upstairs, so got off from the bed, lifted me up, professing a great deal of love for me, but told me it was all an honest affection, and that he meant no ill to me, and with that he put five guineas in my hand, and went away downstairs. I was more confounded with the money than I was before with the love, and began to be so elevated that I scarce knew the ground I stood on. I am the more particular in this part, that if my story comes to be read by any innocent young body, that they may learn from it to guard themselves against the mischiefs which attend an early knowledge of their own beauty. If a young woman once thinks herself handsome, 
She never doubts the truth of any man that tells her he is in love with her, for if she believes herself charming enough to captivate him, tis natural to expect the effects of it. This young gentleman had fired his inclination, as much as he had my vanity, and, as if he had found that he had an opportunity, and was sorry he did not take hold of it, he comes up again in half an hour or thereabouts, and falls to work with me again as before, only with a little less introduction. At first, when he entered the room, he turned about and shut the door. "'Mrs. Betty,' said he, "'I fancied before somebody was coming upstairs, but it was not so. However,' adds he, "'if they find me in the room with you, they shan't catch me a-kissing of you.' I told him I did not know who should be coming upstairs, for I believed there was nobody in the house but the cook and the other maid, and they never came up those stairs. "'Well, my dear,' says he, "'tis good to be sure, however.' And so he sits down, and we begin to talk. And now, though I was still all on fire with his first visit, and said little, he did, as it were, put words in my mouth, telling me how passionately he loved me, and that though he could not mention such a thing till he came to this estate, yet he was resolved to make me happy then, and himself too, that is to say, to marry me, an abundance of such fine things, which I, poor fool, did not understand the drift of, but acted as if there was no such thing as any kind of love but that which tended to matrimony. And if he had spoke of that, I had no room, as well as no power, to have said no. But we were not come that length yet. We had not sat long, but he got up, and, stopping my very breath with kisses, threw me upon the bed again. But then, being both well warmed, he went farther with me than decency permits me to mention nor had it been in my power to have denied him at that moment, had he offered much more than he did. However, though he took these freedoms with me, it did not go to that which they call the last favor, which, to do him justice, he did not attempt. And he made that self-denial of his a plea for all his freedoms with me upon other occasions after this. When this was over, he stayed but a little while, but he put almost a handful of gold in my hand, and left me, making a thousand protestations of his passion for me, and of his loving me above all the women in the world. It will not be strange if I now begin to think, but alas, it was but with very little solid reflection. I had a most unbounded stock of vanity and pride, and but a very little stock of virtue. I did indeed case sometimes with myself what young master aimed at, but thought of nothing but the fine words and the gold. Whether he intended to marry me, or not marry me, seemed a matter of no great consequence to me, nor did my thoughts so much as suggest to me the necessity of making any capitulation for myself, till he came to make a kind of formal proposal to me, as you shall hear presently. Thus I gave up myself to a readiness of being ruined without the least concern, and am a fair memento to all young women whose vanity prevails over their virtue. Nothing was ever so stupid on both sides. Had I acted as became me, and resisted as virtue and honor require, this gentleman had either desisted his attacks, finding no room to expect the accomplishment of his design, or had made fair and honorable proposals of marriage, in which case, whoever had blamed him, nobody could have blamed me. In short, if he had known me, and how easy the trifle he aimed at was to be had, he would have troubled his head no farther, but have given me four or five guineas, and have lain with me the next time he had come at me. 
and if I had known his thoughts and how hard he thought I would be to be gained, I might have made my own terms with him, and if I had not capitulated for an immediate marriage, I might for a maintenance till marriage, and might have had what I would, for he was already rich to excess, besides what he had in expectation. But I seemed wholly to have abandoned all such thoughts as these, and was taken up only with the pride of my beauty, and of being beloved by such a gentleman. As for the gold, I spent whole hours looking upon it. I looked the guineas over and over a thousand times a day. Never poor vain creature was so wrapped up with every part of the story as I was, not considering what was before me, and how near my ruin was at the door. Indeed, I think I rather wished for that ruin than studied to avoid it. In the meantime, however, I was cunning enough not to give the least room to any in the family to suspect me or to imagine that I had the least correspondence with this young gentleman. I scarce ever looked towards him in public, or answered if he spoke to me when anybody was near us. But for all that, we had every now and then a little encounter, where we had room for a word or two, and now and then a kiss but no fair opportunity for the mischief intended, and especially considering that he made more circumlocution than, if he had known by thoughts, he had occasion for, and the work of appearing difficult to him, he really made it so. But as the devil is an unwearied tempter, so he never fails to find opportunity for that wickedness he invites to. It was one evening that I was in the garden, with his two younger sisters and himself, and all very innocently merry when he found means to convey a note into my hand, by which he directed me to understand that he would to-morrow desire me publicly to go of an errand for him into the town, and that I should see him somewhere by the way. Accordingly, after dinner, he very gravely says to me, his sisters being all by, Mrs. Betty, I must ask a favor of you. What's that? says his second sister. Nay, sister, says he very gravely. If you can't spare Mrs. Betty today, any other time will do. Yes, they said, they could spare her well enough, and the sisters begged pardon for asking, which they did, but of mere course, without any meaning. Well, but, brother, says the eldest sister, you must tell Mrs. Betty what it is. If it be any private business that we must not hear, you may call her out. There she is. "'Why, sister,' says the gentleman very gravely, "'what do you mean? "'I only desire her to go into the high street.' "'And then he pulls out a turnover. "'To such a shop. "'And then he tells them a long story "'of two fine neckcloths he had bid money for, "'and he wanted to have me go and make an errand "'to buy a neck to the turnover that he showed, "'to see if they would take my money for the neckcloths, "'to bid a shilling more, and haggle with them.' And then he made more errands, and so continued to have such a petty business to do, that I should be sure to stay a good while. When he had given me my errands, he told them a long story of a visit he was going to make to a family they all knew, and where he was to be such and such gentleman, and how merry they were to be, and very formally asks his sisters to go with him and they as formally excused themselves because of company that they had noticed was to come and visit them that afternoon, which, by the way, he had contrived on purpose. He had scarce done speaking to them and giving me my errand, but his man came up to tell him that Sir W. H.'s coach stopped at the door, so he runs down and comes up again immediately. 
"'Alas!' says he aloud, "'there's all my mirth spoiled at once. "'Sir W. has sent his coach for me "'and desires to speak with me upon some earnest business.' It seems that Sir W. was a gentleman who lived about three miles out of town, to whom he had spoken on purpose the day before, to lend him his chariot for a particular occasion, and had appointed it to call on him, as it did, about three o'clock. Immediately he calls for his best wig, hat, and sword, and ordering his man to go to the other place to make his excuse. That was to say, he made an excuse to send his man away. He prepares to go into the coach. As he was going, he stopped a while and speaks mighty earnestly to me about his business, and finds an opportunity to say very softly to me, "'Come away, my dear, as soon as ever you can.' I said nothing, but made a curtsy, as if I had done so to what he said in public. In about a quarter of an hour I went out too. I had no dress other than before, except that I had a hood, a mask, a fan, and a pair of gloves in my pocket.' so that there was not the least suspicion in the house. He waited for me in the coach in a back lane, which he knew I must pass by, and had directed the coachman whither to go, which was to a certain place called Mile End, where lived a confidant of his, where we went in, and where was all the convenience in the world to be as wicked as we pleased. When we were together, he began to talk very gravely to me, and to tell me he did not bring me there to betray me, that his passion for me would not suffer him to abuse me, that he resolved to marry me as soon as he came to his estate, that in the meantime, if I would grant his request, he would maintain me very honorably, and made me a thousand protestations of his sincerity and of his affection to me, and that he would never abandon me, and as I may say, made a thousand more preambles than he need to have done. However, as he pressed me to speak, I told him I had no reason to question the sincerity of his love to me after so many protestations, but, and there I stopped, as if I left him to guess the rest. But what, my dear, says he, I guess what you mean. What if you should be with child? Is not that it? Why then, says he, I'll take care of you and provide for you, and the child too. And that you may see I am not in jest, says he, here is an earnest for you. And with that he pulls out a silk purse with a hundred guineas in it and gave it to me. And I'll give you such another, says he, every year till I marry you. My color came and went at the sight of the purse, and with the fire of his proposal together, so that I could not say a word, and he easily perceived it. So putting the purse into my bosom, I made no more resistance to him, but let him do just what he pleased, and as often as he pleased, and thus I finished my own destruction at once. For, from this day, being forsaken of my virtue and my modesty, I had nothing of value left to recommend me, either to God's blessing or man's assistance. End of three. Thus far I have had a smooth story to tell.